Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to The Vibe Show. We have another live wire today. This uh, interview really um, knocked my socks off. I think I got tears in my eyes two or three times, but I got the chance today to interview a great American hero, a young single mother of three who went into the epicenter, went into as an imported nurse from Florida, um, into Elmhurst Hospital, where she talks about the refrigerated uh, morgues and all that. She says those were not those were not fake news. There were refrigerated morgues. She said we did put people in refrigerated morgues. The problem is they weren't dying of COVID. So she really blew the whistle on the whole thing, and she keeps realizing more and more facets of what what actually happened to her. Um, so much so that she's written a book. She had moles in other hospitals. She was out contacting attorneys in New York City to try to get somebody to care about what was happening in the, in this fraudulent system, in the medical system in New York City. So she is um, a former U.S. Army veteran. She was deployed to fight overseas in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And she talks a little bit about her experience there and how uh, working in the army in Iraq was not anything like what we Americans were told in the media. So she came home and she turned her, her focus to um, defending our most deeply held values on American soil. She has spent years fighting for medical freedom. Okay, so she's a classically trained nurse, but she believes that you and I should have the choice to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine, and that nobody should decide what is injected into our sacred bodies besides us. So where she became rather famous, and many many people have done her story well, including my colleague Del Bigtree, but in 2020, Erin volunteered for the front lines yet again by by heading out to Elmhurst Hospital from Florida. So she and I live a few hours from each other now in Florida. But she wrote the book, The Undercover Epicenter Nurse. And she talks about how gross negligence, insurance fraud, medical malpractice, and good old fashioned greed are killing everyday Americans at Elmhurst and beyond. So her new fight, um, as she sort of takes on the career as an influencer, her new fight is about a return to ethics and transparency and respect for the truth, okay? And that's something that we're finding is really missing in the medical field today and in our country in this crisis that we're in in 2020 that may not quite be the crisis that people think it is. This crisis may be about something else altogether. So we'll get into it with the amazing Nurse Erin. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. So welcome to the Vibe show, the very brave Nurse Erin. Thank you for having me, Robin. I'm happy to finally connect with you and have a good conversation today. Yeah, you've been super busy. You um, you did something that was just absolutely unthinkable to 99.99% of healthcare <laughs> providers out there. Your story is remarkable. You've done a lot of media. You just came out with a new book. We'll be talking about that. But um, so you're the nurse who did what? So um, I guess I started out, you know, during this pandemic working. I'm I'm from Florida, like you, um, you know, with COVID patients. And our hospitals in Florida were not busy, so a lot of us were furloughed. And you know, I 
was presented with an opportunity to take a travel position to, I guess, essentially the epicenter of the epicenter in New York. So I did. And um, I ended up, you know, going up there and, you know, hopefully doing what I could to to help people. Um, the best Okay, so... So you were in Florida, which is some of the oldest population in the country, and there's this this pandemic rolling out, and the Florida hospitals were so empty that they literally furloughed you. Yes. How do you explain that? Why do you? I mean, I know I'm going to like the million dollar question, right? But let's just dive into the heart of it. Why would a retired population in Florida have a bunch of empty hospitals to the point where you literally had to be exported to New York City. What was going on in New York City, do you think? that Because those are supposed to be, like the Florida population are supposed to be the ones who are at most risk. Yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of it happened, um, you know, when this whole pandemic started. They they shut down elective surgeries. You know, they, they pushed people to stay home. So people that were actually needing care and sick weren't coming into the hospital because they were terrified. And honestly, we really didn't see that many COVID patients. You know, there there really wasn't, I, there was really a pandemic in, in Florida. So, you know, as I'm sitting here, as I was sitting there in the hospital, I'm thinking, what is going on in New York? Like what, why are they getting hit so hard? And we're sitting here, you know, twiddling our thumbs, trying everything to just get as many hours as we can to keep our paychecks, you know? And so, you know, it was definitely one of those things that you have in the back of your mind, what is going on in New York? So I was, I was happy to go there. You know, I've been, I'm a veteran. I've been to a war zone already. Like what, what could be worse than what I've already experienced? So you know, I, when I got there, um, I guess kind of my first red flag when I landed in New York was that in a war zone, you go to combat immediately, you know, you're a soldier, you boots on the ground, let's get started. But I ended up sitting around for three days and this is like all paid and, um, you know, in a posh four star hotel in Times Square. So I, that was concerning to me. It it was really confusing that, you know, why, why aren't they utilizing me? when I'm here and I wasn't the only one, there was hundreds of nurses sitting around. Some of them were sitting around for up to 18 days before I even got there. And I got there in like early mid April. So what, uh, what was going on? And I ended up finally kind of, it was a lottery system and they chose me to work at Elmhurst hospital, which was the epicenter of the epicenter. It was all over the news. Um, and so like, all right, let's do this. And my first day there, I it did not, it literally took me 12 hour shift to realize how absolutely corrupt the treatment protocol and just the way that the entire facility was treating these, these patients. Um, you know, what was what was going on? you know, and so it, it made me actually quite sick to my stomach that I remember I went back to my hotel room that evening crying and I ended up calling, you know, a couple of my good nurse friends and just told, spilled my guts. I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, it, it's so bad that I, 
I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to, you know, go on like this and continue, you know, treating patients knowing that the treatment was harming them. So I already have so many questions. Um, one of which is to kind of run through what the different um, problems you saw that you felt were bad, bad medicine and mistreating patients. I've, I've seen your story on multiple channels. Um, some of my audience will, and some won't have, have heard that. But first I want to ask you though, and make sure we come back to that though. Um, how were you being received? Were you aware at that time that you were going to put yourself into a, a situation that could, could, um, jeopardize you? I know you, you needed to go public with your story, get it out there quickly. I don't, I don't know if most people realize why you would want to hurry and go get that story out there and make it public for your own safety. You might want to like, if you're allowed to talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. And if not, we'll just edit that part out no. that I just asked you that. But like, when did you realize that? And how were your colleagues treating you as you were saying, Hey, this is bogus. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, I guess the first question that, um, you touched on is, you know, what, what did I see happening? Like on my first day, um, what I saw was regular people like you and I with a whole lot of anxiety. I mean they're terrified. Look at what the media is doing to these people. Even right now, people are terrified. You know, they're still wearing their masks in their cars, you know, like Mm -hmm. people rely on, I guess the media to tell them what to do. And that's exactly what happened. So they were coming in and this happened in Florida too. You know, I, I was working in the emergency room here in Florida. We'd see these patients, you know, look at them, okay, you're good. You know, it's, you don't have COVID. Um, you know, you just have to, you know, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Not in New York, in New York, they were, they walked in like that. They were automatically considered a COVID patient. So, and and that was anybody, you know, instead of nothing else existed at that point, if they had a cold, if they had the flu, if they had, you know, maybe heart problems, if they had all of that went out the window, everything was COVID. Everything that walked through the door in Elmhurst Hospital was COVID. And if it wasn't COVID, they would still admit these patients to the floors as a COVID rule out. So the reason that this was happening is because, I mean, I think there was financial incentive to admit patients to the floors, whether they were actual COVID patient or COVID rule out. So every single patient admitted to a room or a bed was $13,000. That's just like a bonus. And so they were just admitting everybody. Why not? The hospitals in New York, specifically the New York City Health and Hospital System, caters to the low-income populations, Medicare patients, Medicaid patients, minority patients. And they were already financially struggling. So they now have reason to bring in as many dollar signs as they can. Well, they were given, they were given permission, almost instructed by the CDC to abandon protocol, do something that's literally never been done before by the CDC, which is, tell me if I'm wrong, you don't even have to, at some point they said, you don't even have to test for COVID. Mm -hmm. If there's one or two symptoms like it, just call it COVID and you can collect $13,000 on that, on that patient Mm -hmm. or $39,000. Was it if you ventilate them? Yes, that's the next. Um, that's the next step. I call it an assembly line to death. 
or an assembly line to a body bag because that's exactly what it was. Like these people, these patients were no longer treated as people. They were treated as a dollar sign. So take, for instance, you have this lady with severe anxiety, hyperventilating, you know, terrified, put her in a room, put her in a COVID room with another COVID positive patient, right? This, maybe she's next to a patient on a ventilator. So she's looking at this patient, you know, another roommate next to her on a ventilator that's COVID positive. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. She's going to be popped on a ventilator. Everybody was put on a ventilator. Even Okay. If so the, cause this was the early days before Cuomo got called out on how absolutely corrupt, mm-hmm. um, should be illegal. People should go to prison for what he did. And, and and high up hospital administrators did um, to force a vent down someone after giving them what eight or nine sedatives. I don't know if people realize that you know why people actually ninety percent of them were dying on a ventilator. Like it's not just that you ram a big plastic tube down into their uh, respiratory system while they're already very sick. Tell us about ventilation. I don't know if people understand what you that you basically have to almost put the person into a coma via many drugs. Am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. And that is a big part of why this this treatment was unsuccessful. Like 100% of the patients by the time I arrived at Elmhurst Hospital had died that had been put on a ventilator. One, um, they are put on multiple sedatives and multiple paralytics. So they put them to sleep and then they paralyze the body. Um, and yeah, people don't realize the, the extent of medications. I mean, we went through, I have never used more propofol in my entire life. I mean, there are things that- Pro- Propofol is a paralytic, yes? Yes. I mean, they'll use this in, in, in they use it in surgery, but very, you know, you, this was long term. I mean, we went through it like I mean, they didn't even lock it up. It was just like grab it and go. It was it was absolute chaos. So on top of that, um, there they were increasing the, ven- the the ventilators pressure. So they were cranking this pressure up because the problem here is I'm just going to go back to Cuomo's orders. He ordered thirty thousand ventilators in March. He's not a medical professional. You know, I don't know why he assumed that 30,000 ventilators were going to be needed. But I think that, you know, ultimately he knew why, because they were each worth $39,000. But the problem is he never really thought it through and ordered people to actually run these, like make sure that there's people to run the ventilators. So another problem that happened is we had students dot like, residents, which are essentially med students, most residents have never before this had hands-on with patients. They are just out of school. They know only book, book smart, you know, they have book smarts, not hands-on. So it was experimental for them. Like this was like their practice. They were practicing on these patients. So they would crank this pressure up, blow out these people's lungs, and then just hang, you know, keep them on the ventilators until they ultimately just died from, you know, usually other acquired, you know, infections, sepsis, they had pneumonia. I mean, all these other things that would happen when you're on a ventilator. Um, but it was like, it was awful. It was awful to, to have to, to be there knowing that what they were doing was so unethical and so wrong, but just not having anybody listen to you. 
And that is when I decided that I needed to make it, take it a step further. And I contacted um, attorneys that I knew in New York city, told them what was happening. And, you know, we, we moved on from there. Um, after, you know, I, I tried to go up the chain of command, but everybody was, you know, just essentially just told me to shut my mouth or I'm out or I'm going home. Okay. I just have to stop. The former psychotherapist in me has to know, are you okay? Like after all that trauma, like watching people die, trying to shake people, contacting attorneys, you don't even know, begging for help for these helpless people. You're just probably barely putting together the dots. There's a lot of dots to connect there. It sounds like the perfect storm of pure horror. And all of it unnecessary and all of it that you've told me so far is not a pandemic so much as pure fraud. And so you, you couldn't have been this articulate at the time, I'm sure. I mean, my my nightmarish Delta experience, I'm still, when I'm eight, nine days past it, and I still, every day I like have more awarenesses of what really happened there. I'm sure that that dawned on you. Are you doing okay? Like, did you need to get some help after all this? Um, I'm, I'm. It's a struggle every single day. And honestly, like I really haven't taken a break since I've left. Um, you know, I've been on a mission to bring the actual truth to the people because I am, I am literally terrified that history is going to repeat itself and that everything that we know America, America stands for, and just it's going to go out the window. I'm terrified of, of what we're headed for. So I guess maybe, um, I'm in the, the fight mode of a fight or flight response, you know, and, you know, after we win this and we, you know, the truth prevails and change occurs, then I'll take a rest. But for right now, like I, I just, you know, this is, this is what I was born to do. So I'm going to just continue doing it, but yeah, there's, there's days when I struggle but I just look at my kids and I, and I know that I'm doing this for them. And, you know, I am doing it for future generations to come. You know, if, if it's not me and if it's not you, then, then who's it going to be, you know? So, yeah. I, I agree. And I, I, I just want to tell you, thank you on behalf of the American people and the people of the world for being so courageous. I'm, I've had to confront my own, the danger that I'm in and the more public I am and with, with criticizing this agenda. And I believe there's a list <laughs> and there's a time when they will come and find all the people like me. If, if we don't win, if mm -hmm. depending on how the presidential election goes, depending on whether the people of the United States wake up and take, take more control over our destiny, instead of just assuming that we have this benevolent government, that's going to save us from this. They're not. No. And, um, I mean, we know, we know in the Bible who wins in the end and I don't know your religious beliefs, but I, we know who wins in the end, but there's, there's a lot of us who will, will, um, pay, pay a price in the meantime and I'm willing to do it. But, but a lot of the reason why I'm willing to do it, honestly, is that nobody can fire me because I work for myself. I mean, I got mass unsubscribes in the beginning and also I've already raised my children. So I consider myself fairly expendable. Girl, you could have been fired. You could have been blacklisted for life from your profession. And you're a single mom of three kids and you still um, did the right yeah. thing. Well, um, I was fired in Florida as well. When I, I, I got back, um, I worked for a little bit. And then what's so crazy is that like my managers and like a lot of my coworkers, like they watched my expose. They watched my interview with Tucker Carlson. They were like, yes, but then 
some higher power didn't want me there. So, you know, it was very strange. And um, so, yeah, I'm on, you know, this is a new chapter. So um, all I know is that we stand on the right side of history and God will reward us, you know, when, when that time comes, but until then, I don't know, you just got to like follow your heart and do what's right. And regardless of what you got to do to, to be able to, to get there, you know? So I, I got faith and, um, I think, I, I hope my kids will be proud of me, you know, someday they'll realize that, you know, we, I did it for them, you know, and, and everyone else's kids, you know, I think, I think they will be proud of you too. And I think one of the good things about you having young kids, I'm actually really glad that my kids aren't super young because I would have, I would feel I have fewer options and I I would feel so very sad if they were in elementary school, like your kids are, you know, in this situation. But the good news about you having little kids is Erin, you can start talking to them about things I wasn't talking to my kids about. I wasn't talking about the price that we paid for freedom 250 years ago. I was trusting the schools to do that now. Um, as I see my children's attitude towards this whole thing. And in, in the case of some of my children, their attitude towards me and the stand I'm taking and the risks I'm taking and the, the, the things that I say, um, yeah. I, I, I wish that I had done personally more talking about it because I'm a, I'm a patriot and always have been. I taught civics and, and American heritage and or American history and economics at a university level. And I just, I guess I forgot that my kids weren't raised in Washington, D.C., the daughter of a defense intelligence agent, and it didn't skip a generation to them. And And I don't know that they taught, they I, apparently they didn't learn in the conservative charter schools that I founded for them, that I was a co-founder of. Apparently they didn't learn the same love, love of God and country that I was, I was taught growing up. And so I'm still, I'm working on my kids. I'll never give up you know, till the day I die, but you, you have a really great opportunity to see what's going on and shift the way your children are being conditioned and in the schools, they are being conditioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my, my kids are very, they, they know, I don't hide anything from them, you know, because it's important that, you know, they, they understand that it is not always as it seems and, um, you know, to, to preserve and protect our freedoms and to always do what's right, even if you're the only one standing up and saying so, that that's 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 the that's the American way, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, it's here we are, you know, we're we're we gotta fight, we gotta fight to me. I'm not the giver of the blessings, but I feel confident in saying your children will know that you are a great American hero. Okay. So so thank you for the courageous work that you did and I probably won't put this out here as a video because I'm getting tears in my eyes, but talk, let's back up and talk a little bit about what, what I call that nobody's broken this story. And I've told Del Bigtree this, like somebody has got to break this story of the insurance fraud that's going on. Because like you said, and you probably wouldn't have the words to say this when you were in Elmhurst hospital and you're being confronted with horrors every day and patients dying and the media reporting it as COVID deaths even though you were talking about how they would run the oxygen outside the door and nobody would even check on these patients. And you just walk up and down and like, look at what vitals you can see from out in the hallway. And these people were dying and they were, I'm going to, I'm going to call this episode, what you said, an assembly line to a body bag. You probably didn't yet have all those words. You just knew something is very wrong here. Actually, lots of things are very wrong here, but you said these hospitals, these medical facilities are clinging to life after losing a lot of their income for a long period of time, how all of our businesses were hurt by shutdowns and people's fear and they didn't go out and spend money and they 
lost their jobs and didn't have any money to spend. So here they are, they're vulnerable. And I, and I have to think this may have been intentional, but they were told by the CDC to commit or insurance fraud. Now that's me saying that, but when you're told to put a $13,000 code on a chart without knowing if that person has that illness or not, and then $39,000 to vent them when there is absolutely no science uh, pointing to that being the correct treatment. And now we know that's a terrible treatment for these people is inappropriate. And Dr. Cameron, Kyle Seidel, if you, if you met him or you got to engage with him at all, I, I heard he got fired from being the chief of that ER. I don't know if you know anything about that. Feel free to comment about it. But I would love for you to talk about if you know anything about why are all these insurance companies who are having to pay $13,000 for people who who had COVID only, they were never tested for it, or thirty even $39,000 if they were vented, why aren't they saying a word? Well, one, I'll start, here's the, here's like the perfect storm mix. So there was executive order from the governor, and this is in numerous states, um, you know, I guess it was kind of across the board, but they removed all liability from all hospital facility, anybody, you know, any, any hospital facility, clinic, nursing home, all liability is gone. So now it becomes a free for all. Nothing good comes from a liability entity any, ever. And, um, and then on top of it, they incent, incentivized deaths or incentivized treatment with money. Why? Why would, well, I guess the question would be ask yourself, why would they do that? Do they, they pay out anything else? They're bailing out. What are they doing? You know, so that right there is a red flag for, it should be a red flag for everybody. Why would you put a dollar sign on an admission? Why would you put a dollar sign on a vent, vent you know, ventilator treatment? And then in nursing homes, they would, they would, I think it was $10,000 per COVID death. So you're going to put an ins- a dollar sign on a death. What do you think is going to happen in a liability-free environment with a whole ton of unethical nurses and doctors and administ- administrators who are order followers? Who who um, have the excuse of, uh, well, I have to pay all these people. Like, I don't want, you know, these people aren't going to get paid. You know, we can't keep afloat if we don't put $10,000, this $10,000 code on mm-hmm. the death chart in in these senior care facilities where elders have died of a virus or an infection most of the time throughout history is what happens in the end. And it's never been front page news before. It's never been a media story before. It seems to me that most Americans have no idea that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And now you can just call any elder death a COVID death and there's no repercussions for it, I think is what you're telling me. No, there's no repercussions. And also they, um, they banned autopsies and they would just put all these people you i mean the freezer trucks were real like people thought that was maybe staged listen those were real i brought all my patients to the freezer trucks but those deaths were not from covid those deaths were from gross negligence mismanagement mistreatment just you know murder and so you pile up all these bodies you're not going to allow any autopsies no families allowed in these hospitals So nobody's there to, you know, put these on, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so disgusted that my profession remained silent, you know, like all of these nurses and doctors 
we, I, I have it recorded. You know, I, I, I didn't get to that point, but I, I, you know, per my attorneys, we got a wire. I got some spy glasses. I recorded, I recorded for a month. So I have conversations from nurses and doctors that they all knew what was going on. Everybody agreed. This is crazy. Da, da, da. But the problem is we were getting paid a lot of money. It was $10,000 a week um, for a nurse. I think some of the doctors were getting up to $50,000 a week. So I think that that was hush money. You know, I, I honestly think that they paid these nurses and doctors so much money to keep them quiet. And it worked. It, it worked really, really well because everybody knew I have it recorded. I have these nurses and doctors, this conversation's recorded. They knew what was going on. They knew it was wrong, but no one said anything because they wanted to keep cashing out their paycheck. Well, and they were also enjoying that the media made them like superheroes. I mean, there's still giant signs in front of every hospital, even though these hospitals are mostly empty these days. Yeah. Um, in many areas, and I'm sure that, you know, I've been watching it in Utah and there are, there are, you know, hospitals that like have 85% of their beds are full, which is fairly normal for December when you and I are having this conversation. That's the thing is you have to look at it. Like it's never been front page news before that there's 85% of the beds in the hospital. Mm-hmm. full. That's never been news before because you know why? Because it's always been normal. Yes. Yeah. That's that's They, they don't build massive capacity. They, they, they gauge what they're going to need. And then they, they hit capacity sometimes. And that's when they send patients over to another hospital. Is that kind of what, how it works? Yeah, it's very normal. That's another thing. Um, I'm going to, I'll touch on that, but like the frontline heroes that bothered me so much. One, I mean, that's, that's not a, like they use the same type of like military propaganda because they did that when we were in Iraq too. Like a lot of things that happened in Iraq, I don't agree with, you know, being there myself, um, you know, they, they, they use this language and, um, you know, you're doing a good thing. You're doing a good thing. You're doing a good thing. Oh, look at, they're doing great things, but we weren't, nothing was good about what was happening in there, but the media, you know, it's this propaganda and you say it over and over enough and people start to believe it. And then of course people loved, you know, we, we would walk into the hospital. There'd be people out there clapping. People love that. It made me sick to my stomach, you know, because I, I just, it, it, it just, it was just wrong to me, you know, but, um, that, that was definitely, um, you know, purposely done, you know, that was definitely purposely created to also keep everybody quiet, you know? And when my expose came out about telling what was really happening in there, the backlash that I got from most medical, like the doctors and nurses, um, was because now I stole their hero status away. Yep. And that's why they were mad. A lot of them. You, you really you that from, yeah, I have, I have so many like angry messages that we finally were recognized. Now you stole that from us. I'm like, you know what? It, it wasn't deserved. <laughs> you know, well, if, if you're allowed to be a nurse and you know, I hope that this does not offend you in any way, but you're, if you can be a nurse with a bachelor's degree and then you're paid $10,000 a week, that is more than most CEOs of companies make who take huge risks and work 70 hour weeks or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, but that is, um, that should be the reward. You know, mm-hmm. you want your reward in heaven or you want your reward on earth. I don't think you should necessarily get to be a hero and get paid $350,000 a year to uh, inflict inappropriate, uh, horrible, horrible ways to die, inappropriate medical treatment that kills almost everybody you treat. I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. I mean, there was nothing that was hero status about it at all. I mean, and I'm not the only, you know, I'm not the only nurse I'm saying this, you know, there's a lot more nurses. I'm working right now on a global nurses summit, um, similar to the, um, you know, America's frontline doctors summit. Um, but there's, there's nurses from all over the globe right now and we're organizing and getting together and we've had enough, you know, enough is enough. And, you know, for everybody that has stayed quiet, you know, they're going to have to live with that. They're going to have to go to sleep at night knowing that they stayed quiet, you know, when they could have saved lives and they could have spoke out and they could have did what's right. And they followed their oaths and, you know, just stood strong as an ethical professional. But all that trust now is, you know, the, the American public, I mean, around the world, they've lost so much trust in our healthcare system. And I almost feel like it's a blessing in disguise because it's been bad for a really long time. But I think that all of this has finally kind of exposed it into a much broader light for people to see. Yeah. I've never been terrified of having something medical happen to me where I end up in a hospital or in, in part of this, because I do a lot of, a lot of things preventatively and I eat a plant plant-based, mostly whole foods diet and all the things I've taught my followers for 14 years now online and, and for a long time before that too, so that I don't end up in the medical system. But now I'm actually very, very afraid of the medical system because I think it's a minority of us who realize, who are aware of your story. You take the you know, 330 million Americans. It's a minority of us who know your story because most people are just completely captivated by mainstream media, which would never include your story. You will never be featured in any mainstream media. If, if anybody's not clear on that, please start plugging into the fact that if you want the truth, you're going to have to get outside of CNN and MSNBC and New York Times. They are not allowed to cover content like this. No. Um, but it's a, it's a minority of us, but it is millions of us. Mm-hmm. It is millions of us who are aware of you and what went on in New York City. And more and more and more people are going to become aware of it as time goes on. I mean, I wasn't aware of what really happened on 9-11 till this year when my brain was blown. I wasn't aware of what you guys were doing over there in Afghanistan that wasn't exactly fighting for freedom um, yeah. or Iraq. I, yeah, no, I, it was, the, it was the same type of pro- propaganda in Iraq. I don't know if you want me to touch on that at all. But. Yeah, touch on that because you did, you did mention, and I'm sure like people listening are going to say, oh, what does she mean? We weren't doing anything good. I often wonder if my dad knows who's 77 years old yeah. and he flew 116 combat missions in Vietnam. I often wonder if he knows to this day what he was really participating in. What do you feel like you're participating in over there in Iraq? I'm sure you went there to be a great patriot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I joined when I was 17 and when I was in basic training, that's when September 11th happened. So it was like the worst timing (laughs) ever, but I mean, I literally like went to war immediately after basic training. You know, I was just young. I was 18, 
you know, 18, 19 years old, got back. I think I was like 21 when I finally like got back stateside. Um, but you know, so I was naive, but I was also very, uh, inquisitive, you know, like what is, okay, what's going on? Um, but you know, the whole weapons of mass destruction, we never found any of that. You know, we were there literally there was, there was none of that. I remember we were in some glass factory and Fox or I don't remember what, maybe it was, it was some news station and they reported that, you know, we found a bunch of uh, weapons of mass destruction in this glass factory and we didn't, we were actually helping them try to rebuild it. So, I mean, it was like, like, that's when I realized I'm like, whoa, that, that is, that is not what happened. And I was just young, 18, 19, you know, like, okay, um, that's not true. And a lot of stuff, you know, we were going on mission. They were putting us on missions just to say we were like, it was busy work, you know, to look like we were doing something. Same thing was happening in these hospitals. And, you know, I, I wonder if the fact that you had gone through all that, because like, it's like, I often wonder, like when I have all these very smart, very educated friends who to this day, nine months in, I'm seeing all the lies fell down one after the other, just lie after lie after lie. And I saw it from day one. Why? Why did I see it on day one and they are so completely brainwashed now that there is no amount of truth you can show them that will dissuade them from believing that we have hundreds of thousands of excess deaths in the world and that the virus is increasing in lethality and that our hospitals are full and all all the lies all the lies um but do you think that you're having been in Iraq and having seen the lies that the media was telling the American people back then do you think that that sort of prepared you for what you would then see in New York and be able to like start, start like blowing the whistle on it early? Oh yeah, definitely. My um, job in the military was in the special operations command. So I did a lot of undercover stuff anyway. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. I mean, I didn't plan on going undercover in New York. Like I, I, it was terrifying to me. So like that was never in my mind, but that was my only option to expose, you know, like video right now is our most powerful weapon that we have video, audio, recording. No one will believe you otherwise. But yeah, I do think, you know, at a young age, I started questioning that. Like when I saw, I I mean, saw what the government is capable of doing and how they would, you know, push the agenda and how, you know, look at the applause we got coming back. Like, I didn't feel like I did anything good over there. I mean, some things, yeah, we, we helped, but they didn't want us there. You know, they didn't need us there. We we came in, ruined their country, and then acted like we were heroes to rebuild it. You know, like- yeah. And and Saddam Hussein and his weapons of mass destruction, um, include and Osama bin Laden, like all that. I, I, it's my husband has known this for fifteen years, like the fraud behind all of that, and and how the color revolutions that our government has been involved in, and what nine eleven really was. All that was new to me this year. I knew there were people who thought that. Mm-hmm. But I probably, and I wouldn't have publicly gaslit them because I knew that I hadn't studied it. It's kind of like I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016, but yeah. I also wasn't going to attack people who followed Donald Trump because I knew I hadn't done my homework. Well, this yeah. year, this year I started doing the homework on all those things yeah. and asking questions and listening. And um, I almost wish I hadn't, you know, like you can't unread pill yourself, right? You ever feel like that? <laughs> no, I, I talk about that every day. I'm like, gosh, it would be so much easier to like not know anything, you know, and not have went there. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a much harder, uh, time to be in when, when you're very awake to all this, but 
um, it's, it, it's, it's better to be aware than unaware, especially yeah, you can't, you can't help the sleeping people if you're asleep too. So yeah, I think, I think the work that we're doing, it's painful. It's a slog every day, honestly, mm-hmm. like the abuse that we take speaking up and you probably don't because people are like you, you probably still enjoy some cult hero status because you were at ground zero of ground zero Elmhurst hospital. I mean, you'll always have that story to tell and it's an amazing story. And, and your book, your book is, is it, is it out now? What's it called? Yeah, it's been out um, in mid August. It came out. Um, it's called the undercover epicenter nurse. Um, and yeah, I didn't plan on writing a book at all, but I met um, through one of my attorneys, a publisher, and they're like, you need to like document this. Um, and I'm like, yes, I do. Because I'm censored. You know, like you said, there is absolutely no left-wing media that will hear my story, but they will put on every other nurse's story that talks about how awful it is. And I will sit there and, and beg them to have me on. No, they will not listen. So I knew, I'm like, I do have to document this. You know, they can't censor that. I'm hand, I'm giving the books out left and right. Like I, people need to know the truth and, you know, there's transcripts in there and there's, you know, just the whole entire, a lot more detail about, you know, what really went happened. I do talk about my military experience a little bit in the book too, and how it correlates to, you know, how the, the government isn't as trustworthy as people think, <laughs> you know, and ultimately we have to save ourselves. We can't allow and sit around and wait for anybody else to save us, especially the government that has incentive to keep us sick and make money off of us and profit off of us. You know, you don't, you don't hear about the government talking about how we can, you know, build our immune systems up and and keep our bodies strong and what we can do to prevent getting ill. They want to put masks on us. They want to mass vaccinate us and they want to, you know, lock us down. And that's terrifying. Yeah, it's not it's not the life that we want to live, and it's not the life that you and I are standing out there championing. And I think you're going to do great work in standing out there for your long career that you have ahead of you because you're really you're still young and and vibrant and raising little kids, and you have a long, amazing career. And I, I'll be happy to help you if you have to find another way to make a living. I think that you have a great future ahead of you as an influencer continuing to speak up about your story, but also, you know, if you have a big public, um, stage, like I have, in fact, I had a live stage. I I spoke in 450 cities all over the country. It's really sad. I was telling my husband the other day, like how how sad that it is, how small my life has become because they've cut us off from all Mm -hmm. the things that we loved. I went to 450 cities and spoke on stages 450 times in six years as I was a single mom raising four kids by myself. And it's just weird because I had such a big life, how, how small it's gotten, but I'm determined if I'm locked down again or whatever, to just keep, keep speaking the truth and keep, you know, helping people like you tell your story to my audience and just keep, keep that ripple effect going and keep waking people up. I have one more question for you before we go to how people can find you and follow you. Yeah. Um, And like I said, I, I would be happy to help you if you want to shift your work to being a public figure and a and an educator you have everything that it takes you look healthy you're walking the talk now you have this amazing story where the bad thing will become the book the good thing i wrote in my last book i'm a 16 time author in my book bye bye talk about how i sort of live by this 
motto of either things work out well or they make a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So like the horrible things that happen to you. Yeah. You know, like the story that you like, I, I literally between interviewing Dr. Madej and you today, I had to field questions from my, my assistant on, do you want to do this media? Do you want to do this media? Do you want to do this media? And I, I think it's for, for the first time it hit me because it's still really fresh. Like that horrible experience that means I cannot fly to see my children. I can't even put my children on an airplane using my miles, my hundreds of thousands of miles. I can't even put them on an airplane to come see me. I mean, I can probably buy my children, you know, but it's gonna, now it's going to cost me thousands of dollars. But I can't go, I can't leave here. I mean, to get home to my home where my house is, I have to drive 2,500 miles through closed boundaries, whatever. I mean, it feels like a war zone out there. Um, but you know, the silver lining is like, I get now I, now people want to hear about that. They want to hear about how Delta turned a jumbo jet, uh, into an angry mob against us and deplaned 400 innocent people and made them lose their connections just to punish us because they've been given such ridiculous power because, you know, the, the inference that came to me probably within a few hours of it happening is they're, they're not running under a free market system. They're running under a communist system where they've empowered their employees to do things where they don't, they don't, they're not competing for customers anymore. It's everything is avoiding the hammer, not trying to get customers to make choices versus their competition. I think that the competition is gone. I think they're consolidating. And I think that uh, enemies to the American people are taking over the airlines. And so we have to just keep speaking up. And that was, you know, I do not feel, I, I don't think till today I felt blessed to have had that terrible experience so that I could help connect the dots for people so that, so that when, if they're on an airplane and that happens, they freaking stand up to Delta, which zero people did for us. So, um, you know, just keep telling, keep telling your story, find those silver linings in it. Like you're not asking for my advice and you've already been doing that, but I just, I love seeing what you're doing with the lemons you were given and that horrible situation that you're in that I hope that when life does settle down and if you have some PTSD from that and some trauma from that, I'm here for you. Um, and, and, you know, professional counseling too, because that, that trauma you experienced is no joke. No. Um, it w- it was just coming at you from, from every angle, but tell us, tell us like how many doctors and nurses would you say percentage wise, this will be my last question for you. Yeah. Percentage wise, like, what can you tell us about how many doctors and nurses saw what was going on, recognized that it was fraud and did nothing about it or, or how many were in other categories? Like they, they were all bought in on it and they thought it was all COVID and they're just too, too, too much nonsense, bad doctors, bad nurses to even recognize that they weren't even really treating COVID in many cases. Hmm. I would say 90% of all of the staff inside these hospitals knew exactly what was going on. Whoa. Yeah. 10% actually thought it was something. Uh, you know, that thought it was actual COVID causing this 90%. And and did you only work in Elmhurst or did you work in any other New York city hospitals? No, I worked only in Elmhurst, but there's other nurses that worked in New York. Nicole Sirotech is one of them. She worked in two other hospitals with the same exact experiences. So this wasn't just, you know, my hospital only. I mean, even in, um, here's a funny thing. So I, when I left, I, I was, I was essentially fired from Elmhurst, not because they knew I was uh, recording undercover, but because they saw my social media, because I was, I was, you know, kind of trying to, to hint to people, you know, Hey, they're doing it wrong. You know, not so much saying it, but they, they ended up finding my social media and that's why they fired me. I actually have that recorded as well. They literally said it's because you're posting too much on your social media. Goodbye. 
But I ended up having a friend that remained there that was a travel nurse from Texas. So she was my, essentially my mole. I'll write about her in my next book. Um, but it continued. And when I exposed, when my expose came out, um, the administration freaked out. They went through and just cleaned the entire hospital. One really interesting thing that happened was another respiratory therapist was also there telling me things. It's, it's, not protocol to unplug ventilators. So what they did is they unplugged and moved all the ventilators, which automatically re, like erases all of the settings so they can't be tracked. So they were doing a lot of things to cover up. And the when I left, I think my expose came out May, June, must've been like June. Um, if you look at the deaths, it, it dramatically decreased. So I, I hope that I, I, you know, that I had an influence in, in saving lives. Hopefully, you know, I, I think I did, but, um, you know, this was happening in Texas too. One of the, that same nurse that was my mole that was working at, with me in Elmhurst took another travel position in Texas. She said, Aaron, they're doing the same thing here and they're targeting the minority populations. They're targeting the poorer populations. They're targeting Medicare, Medicaid patients. There's taking advantage of the low income population as if they don't matter, you know, but it's talking, you know, yeah. and, and the thing is that what we're up against is that there is unlimited money for these people because the people who are funding the whole scam from the top create money. These are people who have access to unlimited money. It's not some limited chest somewhere where they run out of budget. Yeah. These are the people who create money out of thin air. And I think that's where we all went wrong. That's how the world got so corrupt. As soon as there were central banks that could create money, we were we were all going to go downhill from there. And so unfortunately, I think we have a complete and total economic meltdown coming. But my hope is that what we rebuild out of that is built on some ethical principles where the good people of the world, which is most of the people of the world, yes. right? Um, find a way forward and, and we're not having to speak up against this big, huge conspiracy, the deep state or whatever you want to, the globalists, whatever you want to call it. But instead of being in the position that we're in right now of having to speak up and try and wake people up is that the people are awake and we build something better because this thing is crashing. Yeah. This thing is crashing. And then I want it to crash at this point. I don't see another way. I want it to crash before they inject us all with all kinds of garbage that we cannot extract the human race from. You agree? Um, hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, it has to end now. That's why, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't quit since I went to New York, you know, it is every single day. I will talk to anyone and anyone because it is, it is coming if we don't unite and stand up and, and, and fight. Honestly, we need to fight. We need to fight for with everything in our powers because I ultimately, you know, we're we're gonna face a whole lot of tyranny. You know, they're already they just came out yesterday that you're gonna need uh, a card, a vaccine that you got the COVID-19 vaccine just to get on airlines, just to get a job, just to get into you know businesses. You know, people don't want that. Who said that? Because I know Kiwi Airlines and Qantas Airlines have come out and said, you're going to have to have the, the vaccine to get on our airplanes. I haven't seen, you know, all the others will file 
follow suit, I'm sure, which is why I don't really feel to fight Delta too hard. I'd like to be able to use my miles to fly my kids here. But beyond that, I wasn't even getting on any airlines anyway when that happened. But do you know who who put that out? This is um, when we're recording this, everyone. This is um, yeah. December 3rd. Is that an actual announcement? Um, this came out, it was on CNN Health yesterday, December 2nd. Vaccinations cards will be issued to everyone getting COVID-19. And then the article goes on to state that you'll, the people will have to, you know, show their cards, um, you know, essentially to, pr- to prove and provide that they've been vaccinated for certain, you know, to do certain. Okay. So all of you folks who, if you're even listening to my show, which you're probably not, who have been saying that I'm a conspiracy theorist for talking about the COVID pass because it has not been in the mainstream media. I mean, now we see every single prime minister in the free world talking about Build Back Better, which is Klaus Schwab, which is World Economic Forum, which is Agenda 2030, which you know we've been talking about for nine months now. Um, all of that is out in front now. All of that is well-known. It's well-documented. Go look up what Klaus Schwab says he's going to inflict on your future where you will not own private property anymore, but you'll be so happy. You'll be so happy to have ben- benevolent big brother uh, creating health for you with 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 cradle-to-grave injections. But um, listen, we all we all have to get awake to it. Apparently on December 2nd, mainstream media has come out with it. There is a Kobe pass that will you will be required to do things like get a job, et cetera. I mean, my husband's quitting his job in Utah. He works for the state. And since we've been gone, since we, since we ran to Florida, he, they came out with mandatory masks, even though he works by himself running a water treatment plant. And now if he he has to have a COVID vaccine for his job, he's not going to work anymore. Well, luckily we can afford to have him quit his job. Um, what about all the people who can't? Mm-hmm. That's who we're here for. So, um, Aaron, you are amazing. You're even more amazing to talk to in detail than when I first met you. I feel really blessed that I got to meet you at that that freedom rally. We have a big fight against us in um, in Florida that we have the most draconian forced uh, vaccine mandate on the books. And I hope that you'll get involved with us. I went to a meeting up in Sanford a week ago Saturday. Um, you probably were somewhere on on a book tour or something, but. Um, help us with that. Help us use your platform with that because I do not believe that Governor DeSantis has the will to inflict that on people who come into Florida. But people who uh, people in Florida need to realize, even if they are totally willing to get the vaccine themselves, they need to realize that all tourists will be could be at at nothing more than the whim of a health department official forced to get any vaccine to cross the border into our state. So. So we're um we're working on that. Hope you hope you join us in in that effort. Tell everybody where they can find you and also get your book. Yeah, so I have a mailing list right now. It's you can find me at um, www.nurseerinwellness.com. And um, my book is on any uh, online site, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and it's again called The Undercover Epicenter Nurse. So fabulous. Any closing thoughts for everyone? Um, no, I just want to thank you for, you know, sharing my story and being on the right side of history and fighting next to me and, um, you know, everybody else that, you know, is listening, just, you know, you might be one person, but your voice is important. You know, like everybody's voice is important and everybody should always be brave and never, ever be afraid to stand up for, for what's right. Our future depends on it. I agree. Thank you so much, Nurse Erin. 
Thank you, Robin. Hey everyone, I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed doing the interview myself. We have the Green Smoothie Girl Detox coming up. We tend to have people jump in and do the video masterclass. It's free. Um, they do it during December sometime and then they jump in at the beginning of January and do the detox. John and I are doing the detox this year. The last time he did it, he only did the first two weeks of it and he lost, uh, he lost almost 15 pounds and he has kept it off and he feels like a million bucks. And it really rewired his brain for how he thinks. I just got a text message uh, yesterday from someone I haven't heard from in years, just a, a Green Smoothie Girl follower who told me that her foot zoner was, was just going on and on and on about the Green Smoothie Girl Detox and about how, how her husband is walking again because of doing the Green Smoothie Girl Detox. He had actually done it um, two or three times, I believe she said. But we have stories like that all the time. We share before and after photos that people send us. We've never even solicited them. The people send us these amazing before and after photos. Usually sometimes they've done it like a second time or a third time in a course of a year. But we're excited to be supporting a group of detoxers again in January. If you want to learn about it, just sign up and, and take the free video masterclass. At a minimum, I think that you will find yourself astonished at what you learn just from a free class about the process of human detoxification and what you didn't know about how your body detoxifies and how to optimize it and how to do it easily so that it's actually repairing, rebuilding, cleansing every single cell of your body. So check it out at greensmoothiegirl.com slash detox. Check out the free video masterclass at greensmoothiegirl.com slash detox. I'll see you in there.